May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture readings this morning are from Micah, chapter 6, 6 through 8, Mark, chapter 1, 16 through 20, and Matthew 25, 31 through 40. What shall I bring when I come before Yahweh and bow down before God on high, you ask? Am I to come before God with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Will Yahweh be placated by thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Should I offer my firstborn, sorry, Elena, for my wrongdoings, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Listen here, mortal. God has already made abundantly clear what good is and what Yahweh needs from you. Simply, do justice, love kindness, and humbly walk with your God. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw the brothers Simon and Andrew casting their nets into the sea, since they fished by trade. Jesus said to, me, to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of humankind. And they immediately abandoned their nets and followed Jesus. Proceeding a little further along, Jesus saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in their boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately Jesus called to them, and they left their father Zebedee standing in the boat with the hired help and went off in the company of Jesus. At the appointed time, the promised one will come in glory, escorted by all the angels of heaven, and will sit upon the royal throne with all the nations assembled below. Then the promised one will separate from one another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be placed on the right hand and the goats on the left. The ruler will say to those on the right, come, you blessed of my Abba God, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me, naked and you clothed me. I was ill and you comforted me in prison and you came to visit me. Then these just will ask, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or clothe you in your nakedness? When did we see you ill or in prison and come to visit you? The ruler will answer them, the truth is, every time you did this for the least of my sisters or brothers, you did it for me. I'm delighted to be with you today <clears throat> because it's given me an opportunity to process on paper some stuff I've been thinking a lot about for a long time. So thank you for the invitation. I'm sorry that your other person has COVID, but it was good for me. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's pray. Oh God, be in my speaking and in our hearing that we may truly be listening for your word this day. Amen. 
This little piece of paper has been taped to my desk for years. It's a quote from a sermon by Tim Hart Anderson at Westminster. I cut it out, put it on my desk just to remind me of what this Christian thing is all about. The little quote says, following Jesus is costly. The challenge to love in the way of Jesus should not be undertaken lightly. It will change each one of us and hopefully the world in which we live. In my decades-long exploration of Jesus, this statement has become the bottom line for my theology and my belief about this one we call Jesus Christ. Who he was and how he lived his own time is an invitation to each of us to live in our time, to follow his call. But then rest assured, following Jesus is costly. His preaching and teaching echo the words of the prophet Micah, an 8th century Judean prophet who identified with the poor and the oppressed. He harbored anger against the Judean leaders whom he claimed were responsible for Jerusalem's imminent demise. As a vassal of Assyria, the leaders had to pay tribute that often came from those who had very little to give. God had delivered the people time and time again, <clears throat> and yet they have refused to live in conformity with God's will. And now they ask, what can we do to please you? The answer is not about old rituals devoid of meaning. It is about lifestyle, about one's total outlook on life and one's ethical values. The answer is about love and loyalty and faithfulness. This is what God requires, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. What God requires is both easier and harder than the questions imply. <clears throat> what God requires is that we take ourselves sufficiently into the presence of God. It is easier because there's nothing we can do that we are able to do to make ourselves worthy to approach God. It is harder because what God expects of us is a dedication of our whole lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who was executed by the Nazis in 1945, wrote a powerful book called The Cost of Discipleship. Maybe some of you have read it. When Christ calls a person, he writes, he bids them come and die. There are different kinds of dying, but the essence of discipleship is contained in those words. Bonhoeffer himself was a martyr many times before he died giving up, giving up, giving up. He was one of the first as well as one of the bravest witnesses against the idolatry of the Nazi regime. He followed in faithfulness the Jesus who called him into the lion's den, and he paid the cost. We know well the sacrifices of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrated just a few weeks ago, 
it's appropriate that we speak of him today as we begin Black History Month. When King was in jail in Birmingham, he wrote a lengthy letter to fellow clergy who were accusing him of extremism. He was moving too fast for some. Though I was initially disappointed at being categorized as an extremist, he writes, as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist, he says, for the Christian gospel? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I can do no otherwise. And John Bunyan, I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a butchery of my conscience. And Abraham Lincoln, this nation cannot survive half slave and half free. So the question is not, King continues, whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice. In that dramatic scene on Calvary's hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. There were two extremists for immorality. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, for truth and goodness. Perhaps, King concludes, the South, the nation, and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. Mitri Raheb is a Palestinian Christian pastor, innovator, and founder and president of Dar al-Kalama University in Bethlehem. He is one of the most remarkable men I've ever met. I told him once that I wanted to learn about Jesus from him. He follows Jesus with all his heart and his mind and so, using his gifts and his intellect to bring hope to his people. Like Jesus and the Jews of the first century, Palestinians are living under occupation and oppression. Mitri says the most important question for such people is how can we be liberated? Jesus understood his mission as coming to liberate his people which is why in the Bible he is called Savior. Jesus had no desire to be a religious leader, a chief rabbi, a patriarch. He had the opportunity to become a leader of great renown, but he refused. Politics was a driving force, a driving concern for people in Jesus' time. A little like today, isn't it? But Jesus chose to identify with the poor the oppressed, the marginalized, and called them to follow him and be ambassadors of God's vision for the world. Bonhoeffer, King, Mitri Raheb, these are all powerful leaders who followed Jesus, who have made a difference of their own. 
and in their own time and setting for the sake of God's reign on earth. Interestingly enough, Jesus, for all his radical extremism, was not among the powerful of his time. He was a peasant, an itinerant preacher, a common man who spoke truth to power. And we know what happened to him. He paid the ultimate cost. The people in Jesus' time were oppressed by the powerful Roman Empire. They were impoverished, impoverished by the multiple taxes required of them from Rome, from Rome's representatives in their local setting, and from the temple authorities who taxed them and taxed them and taxed them. It was not unusual for people to lose their land for unpaid taxes. It was not unusual for them to sell themselves or a child into slavery for their debts. These people were on the edge all the time and no way out. Caesar and his minions were all powerful. Caesar was Lord. To claim Jesus as Lord was an act of defiance, an act of freedom. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar, for all his power, is not. I appreciate the elimination of the term Lord in your liturgy here at St. Luke. In our time, it has gender implications that we would like to avoid. But Lord in Jesus' time was a very important title. The Greek is Kyrios, which literally means one who owns you. The New Testament writers use the term over 700 times, mostly in reference to Jesus. To claim Jesus as Lord was subversive and empowering, a form of submission one could choose in a world otherwise of little choice, a way of life that resulted in finding oneself by giving oneself totally and unreservedly to this crucified Jewish peasant. Kyrios. Jesus, this liberating, radical Lord, didn't just preach and teach. Jesus acted. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He fed the hungry. He raised the dead. This reign of God, which he proclaimed, required an active obedience. In speaking about the current Israeli-Palestinian issues, Mitri Raheb says, we need peacemakers, not peace talkers. Following Jesus is not about subscribing to a particular doctrine or intellectual assent. Rather, it's about action, about how we live, about the choices we make every single day. In that final section of Matthew 25 that Garrett read, Jesus lays it out. As you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. There's a woman in my condo building who has a reputation for kindness, helpfulness. We all know she is discreet. And when a woman on her floor was dying, my friend cared for her day and night. Once when I was not feeling well, she came and sat with me all afternoon. There's a maturity in her that invites comfort and trust. 
When we were together with other friends recently, she expressed a desire for a spirituality that gives her opportunities to care for others. She seemed to think she was lacking in some way. And we all said, don't you know? Don't you know? Everyone in this building talks about how wonderful you are, about how kind and loving you are. She was dumbfounded. She had no idea that that's how people saw her. She had no idea that's who she was. As you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Beloved, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Sometimes it means speaking truth to power. Sometimes it means working for justice for all people. Sometimes it means taking a stand when something is not right. Sometimes it means offering a meal or holding a hand or listening to a hurting soul. But the bottom line is this. We are called to follow Jesus in the way of love, recklessly, abundantly, unreservedly, unconditionally, generously, kindly, joyfully. We don't always know what the cost will be, but to love radically as Jesus loved is always risky because like it or not, we will be changed. Thanks be to God. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.